Welcome. You're listening to the Best Tech Practices for Small Organizations podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Wells, and this podcast is presented by NW Techs and is designed to educate small and medium-sized organizations on the best practices for managing their IT. We cover topics ranging from cybersecurity to business communication, file storage to working remotely. In this episode, we're continuing our series titled Law Firms and Technology. This series, we're highlighting law firm leaders from around the world and learning from their experiences on the best practices around managing their IT systems. In this episode, I have the privilege of talking to Lisa Ziderman. She's a managing partner at Miller Ziderman LLP, a law firm attorney and a certified divorce financial analyst. She's based in New York. She has a deep experience working with high net worth clients, dealing with things like complicated custodian issues, unwinding complex executive compensation and other financial instruments for the purpose of attaining a full understanding of a couple's finances. Thanks so much for joining us, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Great. We'll jump right into the questions. First question I'd like to cover, and it's just a general question, kind of talking about what are you excited about and what your firm and, and other partners are excited about when it comes to technology, looking down the road and, and utilizing technology in the long run? For me and for my team, what I'm most excited about is the fact that we are able to do so much now virtually. And that means meeting with clients, attending court conferences, actually conducting trials, depositions. Last week, I did a three-day trial in Manhattan. And in the morning, I was actually at a conference in White Plains. So (laughs) this ability to be in so many different places at once and to be speaking to clients on an ongoing basis and still being able to attend to court conferences, trials, depositions, et cetera, because we're doing this now virtually. And I think it's just amazing. It's a revolution. That's fantastic, Lisa. Tell me about what are your predictions moving forward as far as in in your jurisdictions and the areas you practice? Do you think there's going to be a hybrid model as far as being able to attend court hearings virtually? Or as far as the court system goes, where do you think it's going to end up? So I think it's going to end up in some sort of hybrid model. I believe that the court conferences themselves, for example, we usually have a preliminary conference at the beginning of a matter starting with the court. I believe preliminary conferences, settlement conferences, and even compliance conferences will still be conducted virtually because I just think it's so much more efficient for both the judges, clients, and the attorneys. And when I say efficient, it's much more cost effective because Mm. you have a particular appointment. The judge knows that, you know, between this hour and that hour, Ms. Ziderman and her client are going to be there with her adversary and their client. And that time is set aside. I think that as to depositions, I think that's going to continue to proceed virtually. I just don't think there's any reason why we can't do that. But I do think that perhaps for trials and hearings, those I can see and actually returning to the courtroom. And I think that those, although we've been very successful at doing them, they are, as one judge put it last week, a little clunkier because often it's a matter of uploading the exhibits or making sure that the judge has the exhibits in advance and books go to the courthouse and then they aren't there and all sorts of things happen. So I could see that for those reasons and for the reason that I think the judge likes to see the people when they're testifying, 
saying that, you know, there's issues of credibility and issues of being able to see people's body moves in inside and their reactions when they're watching their spouse testify. I think for all of those reasons, trials to some extent are going to return, I think, to the courtroom. Lisa, that's great. I'm going to go a little off script here. And I, um, a lot of the other law firms we've been talking about in the series, uh, they've mentioned kind of what you hinted at, the negatives of being uh, virtual. Can you tell me about what things your firm has done to be able to combat that so you can have that presence and you can have that uh, convincing tone and or the ability to, to really connect with the judge or the jury? So, you know, I haven't personally felt that it's any different than being in the courtroom. I will say that to a large extent, I believe it's better. And I believe that when we were Mm. in the courtroom, you would have people running in and out of the courtroom. There would be a lot of disruption. There was a great deal of distraction for the court itself. And now when the court is looking at everybody on a screen, I can see that they're very focused. They're focused on watching people's faces. They are making sure that the masks are off actually when they're testifying and they're able to do that in a safe environment because we're not in the courtroom. So to a large extent, I believe that the court has connected very well doing this. I think that from my point of view, as someone who, for example, loves cross-examination, last week I did a cross-examination. I felt like I was in the courtroom. I had Hmm. the same feeling of adrenaline that I felt when I was in the courtroom. I had all my documents. I was ready to go. And I think the judge was listening and attentive and following. And I think that everybody was very focused. So I don't personally think that there was an issue. And I think you could watch people's faces very easily doing that because the court was so focused on making sure that everybody was visible in the courtroom. Mm. So I, I do think that that is something that can definitely be useful. On the other hand, I think in terms of exhibits, I think it makes it much more difficult. I think that we have to learn how to be more paperless. I think that that's the key to the whole to the whole thing, being more paperless, being more able to utilize exhibits that are online and that we can just load up and that we can share with the court. And I think that the court has to actually learn how to do that as well, how to make sure that they can actually share the documents, that we can scroll through the documents, that you can load them up in a chat, for example, and be able to download it like we do in depositions. I think that if the court and the court's IT system is more able to do some of these things, we could probably be virtual and we could turn these courthouses into um, probably other useful places for people to gather, such as places for kiosks, um, you know, Mm. so that people could actually don't have the ability to get on to these remote Mm. systems or able to do that. I haven't heard that idea. That's that's a really cool idea. I love that being able to create like a almost a co-working space or virtual plug-in for people that don't have access to good technology at home. Super exactly. interesting. Very cool. Kind of changing gears a little bit here, Lisa. Tell me about in the past 12 months or 18 months, tell me about some challenges with technology your firm has gone through and how you've overcame them, whether it was cybersecurity or maybe paperless, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Tell me about that. So cybersecurity is something we've always been very conscious about. And that's because we also have always worked remotely. 
Okay. And the reason when I say we've always worked remotely, first of all, I'm someone who works probably all weekend long, right? So <laughs> I have a home upstate in New York and I have an apartment in the city and I am not going to be essentially schlepping all my files to all these different places. I have an office in White Plains and I have an office in Manhattan and my associates and partners go back and forth between all of these offices in their homes, right? And we literally need to be reachable to our clients 24 seven, a lot of the time. And mm. we need to have documents on hand. So that means that documents have to be properly put into the system. They have to be scanned. They have to, we have to make sure that they're password protected and or encrypted when necessary. And we have to make sure that we have properly done all of this. So all of this, believe it or not, was done before we ever got to the pandemic. Fantastic. We literally had to set up two additional remote systems for, for people at home because everybody was already on those systems and had learned to do this. We also have learned to use, you know, so that our passwords literally change every day. Um, our, our password to get into our system changes every single person's changes mm. literally every day, every minute. Fantastic. So the system again, my password would be different than it was an hour ago. So for that reason, I think that we're very well suited to maintain information and maintain confidentiality. And we have been very careful about that. But in terms of being up and running, we are up and running. I will say the place that we still need to work on is the paper issue. And it's funny because about three weeks ago, I had one of my paralegals had come to my home to do all of my filing, right? So I had okay. all of these consultations. I had met with all of these people virtually, and I needed this to be organized. At that point, I said to myself, you know, I have an iPad. I'm not sure why I don't just take my notes on my iPad mm -hmm. and simply email them to my, my associate, right? And, and then it can be saved in the system properly. And I won't have all of this paper. And so for the last three weeks, I have made a conscious effort and I have asked my team to make a conscious effort not to use paper, except when absolutely necessary. That means that we're still printing trial exhibits and I'm still getting trial books brought to my home and all of those things, but I am no longer taking notes on paper. That's, that's phenomenal. How much of the, of the judicial systems that you work in require paper still? I think paper is still required. As I said, okay. trial books were delivered last week to the courthouse. That being said, I also think that we are starting to see referees and judges saying there's a system for exhibits to be loaded into the system. That's I won't need any books. Just load them up into the system. Less paper again. Mm. So I think that it's going to evolve. And I think by the end of next year, there's going to be less and less paper. I think that we're going to see a system that actually works virtually and is so much more efficient. I love it. That's phenomenal. Yeah, better for the environment, more cost-effective, easier to share, more secure, all those reasons, something you mentioned, and then, then some. That's phenomenal. I love to talk about your team collaboration and how your team functions internally. So it sounds like you're very distributed and everyone's working remotely. Pre-COVID, were we working in the office together? And then post-COVID, do you anticipate all your team coming back into an office environment? Pre-COVID, it was very interesting because we all are back and forth. And when I say all, I have a team of lawyers and paralegals that are truly between New York and Westchester. And in my day, I could be 
on a regular day, I could be in New York twice, in Westchester once, or in Westchester twice, in New York once, in Brooklyn. I wow. think right before the pandemic, the, one of the final days that I was in this city, I was in New York, back to Westchester, back to Kings County, back to my apartment in New York. So my days were like that. Well, part of the issue of having days like that was that we were not necessarily seeing each other and collaborating as much. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would walk into the office at 630 and we always laugh about it, a line of attorneys standing outside my office waiting to ask me questions. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Terrific. But it was very difficult to ever get a meeting together. Mm. And so you wouldn't have the collaboration that we necessarily have now, which is nine o'clock every morning. My entire team is on a Zoom call. Everybody, paralegals, attorneys, faces on, you know, nice. everything ready to go. And we are having discussions about cases, questions, the day, what they need me to look at, what I need to review, question about a case, a new idea for an article, various things going on, collaboration, right? That wasn't happening before. Mm. And many of my partners and associates have said, this is fabulous. Mm. This is great. We are actually all able to get together for 20, 25 minutes. It doesn't have to be that long. I'm sure. still speaking to them during the day, but frankly, I'm much more accessible in certain ways now. They mm. text me, they call me. I'm not sitting in a courtroom waiting for hours, you know, frankly, um, entertaining, literally entertaining a client in the mm. courthouse because those people are sitting there afraid of their court appearance or concerned about their court appearance and we're waiting for three hours. That time was all wasted time and space. Mm. So now I'm able to review the documents, have answers to questions and collaborate. Now I do think it's harder for new people. So we've added okay. people as the year has gone on and I'm about to have a new and fabulous associate start. And I've been really trying to figure out how does that person who is gonna be a great addition to our team, how does that person really learn how to be part of the team mm -hmm. and learn the information um, when we're not in the office. I think that's the challenge that we as firms are going to need to figure out. Very interesting. Tell me about post-COVID. Do you, do you anticipate going back into the office to have some more of those cultural building opportunities or yeah, tell me about that. I think that there's going to be a hybrid. I mean, okay. I think that to this to the extent that there's a court hybrid, there's also going to be a hybrid in terms of being in the office. It's hard for me to visualize what that's going to look like. I am seeing more and more people are talking about coming in three days a week. I was thinking, well, maybe I'll come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'll work from home on Mondays and Fridays. And then I just spoke to a colleague this morning who I thought had a great idea. She said, I'm going to come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'm going to work from home Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's actually not such a bad idea mm. because, you know, she said, we start the work week, we get it all organized, mm. and then we stop the work week towards the end and we work from home. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. I think that I'm certainly going to, and I have spoken to my associates and partners, I'm certainly going to offer the option of a much more hybrid situation. And I think for the times that we don't have to be in court or for some reason meeting in person, I think people can easily work from home. There's just no reason. I, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that the better way to work was to be in the office. You know, I think that's a security blanket that frankly, I don't need. I love it. 
Speaking of security blanket, I immediately think of accountability. You mentioned your 9 a.m. meetings. What other forms of accountability do you have in place to make sure your team is delivering on your expectations in, in regards to what your, your vision of your company is? Well, we have deadlines. We have deadlines that aren't necessarily deadlines that are self-imposed. We have deadlines from the court, okay. deadlines from our adversary. CPLR deadlines that are just requirements pursuant to statutory requirements. So I can see if somebody's not delivering because we would be late with things and we're not late. We are on time. My staff needs to know, and they do know that they have to give me enough time to review documents. So I have okay. requested that they give them to me 48 hours in advance, and they've been really good about it. Sometimes it's a challenge, but mm. I, I will say for the most part, they've been really good about it. They are having to think ahead a little bit more because they have to now make sure that I have books for trial to review in advance or outlines in advance that normally they might have printed and handed to me, you know, as we were sitting in the courthouse, or they may have been able to say, hey, Lisa, there's an exhibit here, just grab this or whatever. So I have to be much more on my toes, which means that they have to have better prepared me to do that. And they're great about it. So I, I'm not worried about accountability because they are completely um, self-sufficient in that. And they're, they're very motivated people and great attorneys and paralegals. And so I am not concerned about accountability. No one has been um, goofing off to say the least. I love it. I've been working super that hard. And, and I think, by the way, people are more inclined to work harder when you treat them as a, they, as they are adults who can figure out their own schedules and figure out where they should be and what they need to do. I love it. Yes, that's, that's great. Kind of taking it from the other standpoint of work-life balance and tell me about a lot of studies are coming out over the past year and, and 12 months showing that people are actually working more to your point. People aren't generally speaking, people are working remotely are not goofing off. They are actually working more because of the ability of having uh, technology and, and you can have uh, be plugged into work 24 seven. How are you personally or your team finding work-life balance when we have a screen in front of us 24 seven? Well, we're matrimonial attorneys, which means we have no work-life balance. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, matrimonials blow up. The things okay. happen, right? Yeah. Clients need you. You need to be responsive. So I would say that we probably are a class of attorneys that don't really have a lot of work-life balance. That being said, I think that my people my team knows that when they need time, they take the time. When they need to do something, they do something. And they have to figure out their schedules for themselves. I'm not going to supervise their schedules. They have to figure that out. I will say from my point of view, I normally would go on vacation and I'd work from vacation. That was just what I did. It was just as easy yeah. to sit at the beach, frankly, and read a novel as it was to read a deposition transcript. They're just as interesting, really, if not mm -hmm. more so, because they're real life. <laughs> sure. And, and yeah. matrimonials are very interesting sometimes. So from, from my point of view, if I can work from my home, from my kitchen, from my pool, from my house, that to me is, is huge. And I'm really interested in the work. So this is not a hardship to be able to work, you know, much more. And yes, I think that probably for a lot of people, there is definitely an issue in terms of separating their work life from their personal life. But truth be told, matrimonially, you don't have a lot of that separation anyway. That totally makes sense. Let's change gears a little bit. I love to talk about tools. Tell me one tool 
that you just love that maybe it's your your password manager that you're talking about that changes your passwords or your documentation system just one that our business this is the lifeblood of our business we cannot live without this tool well, so I will say our document organization system, and now we may have even outgrown that particular one. So I'm not going to mention what it is, okay. but the concept of having a document organization system is huge because the fact that I can find a document in no time, if you ask me for such and such as W2, and I can actually find it in five seconds, that's phenomenal. And all I have to do is to plug in W2 under the client and it comes right up and I put my passwords in and I'm done. Having all of that at my fingertips on one screen, that's huge. I will say Zoom and Teams mm. and all of these platforms, this has been the most amazing thing. I mean, it's not just amazing in terms of work life. It's amazing in terms of social life, you know, being able to socialize with your colleagues, being able to socialize and network. All of those are possible because of these platforms. I did a lot of functions. I would go to a lot of bar association functions. I'm on two boards. I'm on the board of Savvy Ladies and I'm on the board of Legal Information for Families Today, which is Lyft, and another board called JBLS, which is the Justice Brandeis Law Society, 9th JD. It's actually three boards that I'm on. And I can be at all those board meetings without having to lift a finger. And the attendance is so much higher at those board meetings now. So I would say that these platforms are incredible. And of course, social media, right? Social media has been a huge tool in my business. Very good. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell me about um, managing all of your tools. Do you have a third party that helps you with that? Do you have an IT staff member that manages all your IT? Tell me about who, who helps you kind of execute and organize all these tools. So we have both an IT company that is incredibly great. They're, they're fabulous. And then I have um, my um, HR and basically um, the person who runs our office, um, and she is amazing. And in fact, we just did a sound check before I got on and made sure nice. it all worked and, and, and made sure that I was really comfortable with getting on with my mic, et cetera. And if there's a glitch, my IT company knows that they are working weekends, that they work at night, that nice. when I have to text and need them, they are there. That is a huge asset because you cannot function without that. Love it. So you have a, kind of a mixture of some great internal support team members that can help with IT, but then also a third party to help implement. That's phenomenal. It's also, I'm going to say this, you also have to be willing to learn, right? Mm. So there are so many tools, for example, on Zoom, learning how to upload documents. That's is so important. Learning how to open the documents in a chat incredibly significant because all of these pieces are really what's going to make your business now. You know, learning just the simple thing of taking notes on your iPad. If you aren't willing to evolve and change, then I think you're, you're frankly going to be left in the dust because there is going to be a lot of changes now and people mm. who are able to make those changes are going to succeed. It's like any other kind of revolution. Thanks for sharing. We get this question a lot from our clients or from prospective clients. Tell me how you differentiate using Microsoft Teams and using Zoom. They're both video conferencing platforms, but Teams obviously has a lot of the team collaboration aspect. How does your team use it? And then how do you use it with your clients? Do you meet with your clients on Teams? Do you meet with them on Zoom? Is it kind of both, if and and? A normal day, we use Zoom. And okay. we use it for consultations and our meetings internally, as well as socializing, networking, et cetera. 
Zoom is the platform that we absolutely use. Teams is what the court system uses. Okay. So they went from Skype, I think it was Skype, to Teams. And now we use Teams for the court system. And they exclusively use Teams because I think that's what the court system has their contract with. And that is the way we do it. But I haven't seen, for example, the courts break out using breakout rooms and Teams. So I haven't seen that yet. I'm sure they're able to do it. But I don't think the court system has yet advanced to being able to use it. In Zoom, we use breakout rooms. We we use the chats. We use really all of the pieces of it. And I'm still learning. I mean, I learned a couple of weeks ago that you could literally change the colors of your facial, you know, your lips, your all yeah. of those things. I didn't know that. It's crazy. So, yeah. Backgrounds and, backgrounds, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Everything, right? So y- you can really use Zoom in a very creative way to enhance your ability to speak to people and to present and all of that. So I think it's really very useful. Fantastic. Tell me about from a marketing and getting new clients standpoint, let's first talk about since COVID, has your regional area for servicing clients expanded? Are you servicing clients in more jurisdictions now? And then moving forward with this hybrid world, do you anticipate you expanding and moving into other jurisdictions or do you plan on staying in the areas you're servicing now? So we do actually service people in other areas now, not outside of New York state. Although I'm licensed in Connecticut, I really feel most comfortable practicing in New York because that's where I practice on a daily basis. But I will say that I am practicing more on Long Island, which I didn't do previously as much. And that's because I can be, you know, in Manhattan in the morning, Westchester mid afternoon in Long Mm -hmm. Island in the afternoon, right? So it's just a convenience factor that I can do all of this in a day. And so it's not as much juggling. And I do anticipate that as long as there's a hybrid going forward, that I will keep that going. I also know that some of my other colleagues within my firm have been practicing up in, for example, Ulster County, which normally we wouldn't necessarily be in Ulster County. But Mm. because of the fact that you can be there so easily virtually, okay, we can do that. So I think that Yes, the expansion will be further as to where we can go. And I think that there's something to be said for that. If it becomes a situation where we were returning back to New York full time into the offices, I think that that would have to change back to where we were. That's super helpful. Interesting. Looking back at the last 12 months, has your investment in technology from a cost standpoint, has it increased, decreased, stayed the same? And do you anticipate budget-wise you investing more money in IT moving forward? So we were always very technologically advanced. And again, that's because we had the New York office and the Westchester office. And so we always had a very large budget for technology because we had to be remote. And because mm. also I like to work on the weekends and mm. I don't want to go to the yeah. office to do that. Right. Totally. So, and my people also, my team wants to be able to work from home too. Some of them have small children. They want to be able to work from home. Some of them were working from home before for a day or two. So from that standpoint, I don't know that it's really increased substantially because it was already a good amount of a budget. We certainly have really made sure in terms of computer security and that we are very advanced in that area. And we have made sure that we really connect with our IT people. They have become 
I would say, the base of our business. I mean, without our IT people, we would really be lost. So maybe they were sort of like background noise before, mm. and now they're like essential. Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, that makes sense. We're all being uh, utilizing technology. You're more dependent upon all those aspects, whether it's the internet or whether it's cybersecurity or whether it's your providers bringing everything together. From a cybersecurity standpoint, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into that. What are some areas of data security that you are personally either worried about and that you are you're putting measures in place to combat? So viruses, obviously, right? And then people being able to get into our system. And we have been very vigilant about that. And as I said, um, password protecting and making sure that we are rotating these passwords and changing them all the time so that no one really can infiltrate our system and making sure that we are updating our computers all the time. This is all really important. And I think that it's the utmost importance because we're taking care of our clients' documents. So we have to be careful. It's very important that you think before you click, right? You know, that email comes in, you want to open that attachment and you really have to think, is this an attachment I should be opening? These are things that we have become very conscious of. That's that's so interesting. I love that phrase. And I've heard a similar phrase before of just thinking before you click because... I think it was over 90% of cyber attacks have some sort of socially engineered element to them. It's not the criminal busting down the door. It's actually them knocking and let somebody letting them in, right? And so it's 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 that aspect. Because they've learned to entice, right? It's it's mm. a very enticing email usually. And you have to really resist that enticement. But it's no different than the phone calls, right? There was the the entire scam with the IRS where people were actually sending money to the IRS because or thought that they were because there was someone calling them saying you owe all this money for taxes, right? You have to really be able to, you have to be thinking on your feet at all times. You're running a business. Well said. Tell me about from a compliance standpoint. First question number one, does the state of New York have specific cybersecurity requirements for your law firm to adhere to? So I think that there are certain ethical um, requirements and and we have people who actually handle this area. Madeline, in fact, um, in my office handles this area. So she organizes it. We are, we are always vi- very vigilant to be careful that we are within the requirements. But frankly, that's not good enough. I think you have to be mm. more so. I think you have to be thinking ahead because there are certainly areas that are open to attack essentially, and you have mm. to be you have to be super vigilant about it. So it's really working with your IT people and trying to get ahead of it. Yes, of course, we always want to make sure that we are conforming with the rules. But as far as cybersecurity, you have to be actually ahead of the game. I love it. Yep. You're so right. As the cybersecurity criminals are evolving, you know, they're always thinking outside the box and, and pushing the needle. Yeah, that's their job. Our definitely. Job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right? That's, that's their job. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, Lisa, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a ton. Thank you so much for coming on. It was uh, super interesting talking to you and hearing about your perspective and your very forward thinking uh, approach to technology and serving your clients. Thanks so much for listening to the Best Tech Practices for Small Organizations podcast presented by NW Techs. To learn more about NW Techs and how we help small organizations tackle IT and cybersecurity challenges, please visit us at nwtechs.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Lisa.